CinemaSins has a fan club. It's called the Sin Club, and members get all sorts of things like early episodes, bonus videos, merch discounts, and even monthly bonus podcasts. Membership starts at $3 a month, and you can sign up now at patreon.com slash CinemaSins. I think that was actually the first line of my director notes for this movie was there's a, there's a third skyline. <laughs> Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. Everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from Cinema Sins, joined by Barrett Share. Hello, and Jonathan Watkins. Hello, hello. And today we have a very special guest. It is uh, writer director Liam O'Donnell, who has uh, made a movie called Skylines. It's the third film in the Skyline franchise. Uh, comes out on digital and on demand December eighteenth. Liam, welcome. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, I think the the biggest story uh, for me uh, when I saw the press release for this movie is there's a third skyline. And so I wanted to know how this came about because the first skyline came out in 2010 and then it took seven years for Beyond Skyline, the second movie to come out. So take us through that uh, uh, that process. How did this happen? I think that was actually the first line of my director notes for this movie was there's a, <laughs> there's a third skyline. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 uh, I, I get the same question. I'd be like, uh, how, do, how am I making the third movie on this franchise that like no Lyft driver has ever heard of in my entire life? Every time I get to a Lyft <laughs> and I'm going to the airport to work on the next one, they're like, what? What are you talking about? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the the you know the first movie was um, a very very um, cheaply produced independent movie that um, got picked up by uh, Relativity and Universal and then um, had this really big worldwide release. Uh, mm-hmm. It it was it was pretty savage by critics and um, it has its it has its fans and it, it ended up doing um, surprisingly well in a couple of different foreign markets to have mm-hmm. this kind of impressive worldwide total, but didn't you know there was all this excitement for a sequel you know up until the release and then it it seemed to you know die down a bit but then after like two years went by you know people would still be asking and kind of kicking the tires on it and i think it we'd had a treatment uh, around the time of, of the release that was a, a bigger movie and mm-hmm. it was around 2013 when it came it finally was playing on tv again it was playing on like spike and sci-fi that i watched it again and it was like I'd really kill to make a sequel to this. I went back to the treatment and um, and pared it down a little bit, reshaped things. And I, I went back to Greg and Colin Strauss, the producers and directors of the first film and, and said, you know, I'll just spec out this script. I'll write it if I can direct. And mm-hmm. uh, they said, absolutely. They gave me, they gave me their blessing. And, uh, and, and then that was kind of done within a year. Um, we started filming, you know, I wanted Frank Grillo, um, even back in 2013, I wrote it for him. And then mm-hmm. he became this kind of, uh, you know, this, this kind of genre star from the purge anarchy, uh, in 2014. Yeah. And so, so to get him on the movie, we kind of had to start filming the movie before we were ready and longer than we were ready. Like we, we had to weave our production schedule on beyond skyline around his schedule for two other movies. So we started mm-hmm. filming like right away in December of 2014 and we finished filming in May of 2015. So it was already mm-hmm. like this really long 
production process. And then because uh, there was more green screen on that film than we wanted, it ended up being a really long post-production process. And then once the movie was bought, uh, you know, it was finished in early 2017, they wanted to release it in Christmas. So it came out even later. So that one was just like a really, really long process all in all. And mm -hmm. um, when, when we shot the last uh, day on that movie was the wraparounds with Lindsay Morgan's character, uh, which is the little girl that gets introduced in that movie, but then grows up and it, it's sort of a post-apocalyptic future world where the uh, humans have uh, converted the aliens technology against them. And it was a really fun kind of uh, ending to go on, like a triumphant ending that, you know, it could possibly set up a sequel, but if not, it felt like a great place, you know, to complete the story. Um, mm -hmm. and so luckily there was, there was interest after that, like, you know, what would be a part three? And I was quite inspired by, uh, by working with Lindsay on that day. I thought that there was such a great dynamic between her and her adopted alien brother. And there was, there was such a big <laughs> world to explore there that I was like, I, I, I kind of went for it and had this, uh, treatment within a couple of months from, from filming that. And, uh, and luckily, uh, you know, it took a few years to, to get, uh, everything up and running on this. And it went through a bunch of different iterations as they all do. Um, but last year, uh, 2019, we, we kind of secured funding and were able to, to make this, uh, crazy unlikely third chapter. Yeah. I, uh, I was, I was actually going to ask you if you had had a sort of a, um, multiple chapters in mind back when you did the first one, uh, because it ends on a cliffhanger, uh, and, uh, and it seems like you, it was, you were primed to sort of try to, uh, serialize this in some way, uh, even back then, but, uh, it, did you have other chapters in mind when you made the first? No, no. I, I feel like it would probably be like better for my career if I just wasn't as honest and was like, yes, this is a full, <laughs> <laughs> full com completed vision. Uh, it all came to me in the shower. Now, I mean, the first movie was like, you know, it was my first, uh, produced script and it was very much like a uh, quite nihilist ending. Uh, it was very much inspired by night of living dead that just like the zombies have taken over and we're all fucked. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, yeah. but like in, in post um, that ending, um, you know, it was originally like, she just like uh, saw him get his brain ripped out. And then, you know, we thought she was going to die. And then you heard like a voice off, off camera and her eyes opened up and, Bleh. you know, so it was like very much like a, uh, a coda ending and not such a big um, actiony ending like setup. And, but that kept growing in post um, both from just, you know, we got excited with it and uh, in the studio liked all that stuff. So it ended up kind of uh, feeling like it was the start of another act almost to the movie. Like the, the like it needed another like 15 minutes to wrap it up. Um, mm -hmm. So everything is always like an evolution, you know, in the process of like, oh, okay, well that, that seemed to be leaning towards like uh, a kind of um, a, a more of an action adventure story than what the rest of this movie was. Let's make more of an action adventure story on the next one. And then the next one, you know, becomes such a genre mash um, that it was like, well, I'm kind of like free to, to completely change the genre once again. And, uh, and, and scratch an itch of doing like a space adventure movie and a little bit more of a traditional, you know, setup narrative and then kind of go wild in the second half of it. Yeah. What is it like casting these movies, especially since you don't have very much, uh, like, uh, rollover from each, uh, ep from each, I'm saying episode, but each movie yeah. and you don't 
there's not a, there's not, it, uh, you know, you don't have much of that going on. So like how, how, when you get this new cast in, do they, are they sort of uh, familiar with the movie before they come in or is it, uh, or, or do they, do you have to kind of give them a bunch of backstory or do they say, Hey, you just say, Hey, here's the movie and just do what you can with it or whatever. It's a, I mean, it's, it's kind of like up to them on how much they want to get in. Like everything that they need to know to do their job is in the script, you know, Mm -hmm. like, but, but, um, but yeah, like it, for, for Lindsay, um, you know, like I said, I only worked with her for one day. So mm-hmm. it was a little bit like, even though we were, we were really friendly and, um, and, you know, we, we, uh, she had, she'd come to a screening in Vancouver of Beyond Skyline and we talked about it a little then, uh, about an, another movie and then, you know, had coffee. And, um, once the script was done she, from her perspective, it was like, wait, what <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. this, little, yeah. this little job that like I, I came in and worked on a day is now like you, you want me to be the lead of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so yeah, we, it, even on this one, it was like us getting to each other. We had a comfort level, but it was like, okay, this is now, you know, you're the star, which was a, a definite change of pace. Um, but then when you have these like amazing, um, you know, uh, Shakespearean British trained actors coming in, <laughs> you know, like I, you don't need to give James Cosmo and Alexander Sinig <laughs> or Rona Mitra. You'd be like, well, in part two, like they're, they can make anything work. They're, right. they're just like, you know, they're, they're professionals. They, they've forgotten mm-hmm. more about filmmaking than I know. Um, yeah. so, you know, it would just be about like finding the tone, um, within their scenes of, of what, um, could work. And, you know, Alexander is like, you know, he, he, I was just saying today because people were asking me, I was like, oh, he's kind of like a directing cheat code. Like you don't know if you, if you don't want to work very hard, like you can hire amazing <laughs> actors and you're just like, yeah, that, that was great. I guess we'll just do another take for safety. Um, so yeah, it was, it, it, it was like, it was about finding, you know, and I, I really was happy with um, where we got to in this movie of like the, the, the right tone for, for the fun of it. And that it's like, it's, um, it, it's 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 not like it's never like tongue firmly pressed in cheek, but there's like a self awareness to the movie without it being camp or parody. Right. And that like we we're having fun with it. We know this is fun. We know the references that we're building off of. You know, it's it's kind of obviously it wears its love for like James Cameron and Paul Verhoeven and James McTurnan and uh, or John McTurnan and, and John Carpenter movies like on its sleeve. Um, but it's it's also kind of like reveling in what. Uh, you know, is unique to our franchise with the fact that like the, the, the aliens are the leads. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it's not, it's not the humans taking them on it. It's a, it's a, it's an entire exposition that's basically led by the aliens and they have to kind of wrestle with that, uh, you know, duality and, and, and the distrust between the group is, is really like, you know, the main dynamics at play. That makes it really unique, by the way, the, the, especially now Rose all the way through, she's a sarcastic, uh, you know, uh, so-and-so about like, you know, any, any, uh, confrontation that she gets into, she's going to quip, but when right. she and Trent get together, uh, it's just so perfect. Like, even though, you know, and, and we can get into this of how you made the, uh, the pilot voice because you can hear the words spoken, uh, through kind of a synth type of thing, but just how, whenever they get together, it's odd because of the uh, dynamics between alien and human, but it's perfect. It's so, it's oh, so cheeky you. and it's so f- fun. Uh, they they feel like brother and sister. Situations. 
Yeah, I, well, I, I, yeah, I could talk about that scene because I, I felt like that was one of those like, oh God, thank God the movie's gonna work. You know that that was a big scene to film, and um, I worked on a lot of different iterations in the script. Uh, for the, I'm talking about in real one, like the beginning when Trent and um, and Rosa are reunited, and we kind mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. get a hint of their dynamics and their backstory and everything. Um, and there was there was an earlier version of the script where they had more conflict, but I really wanted them to have. Like uh, I wanted to establish a sense of love there and to break Rose down a little bit, because like you said, she is always sarcastic and she has conflict with almost every character in the movie. So it was important to me to have this one character to show like, um, you know, someone who just uh, loves her, you know, like, like a brother, but it was really the fact that Lindsay would go in there and like, look at him and look at this creature and just the way she regards him. The fact that she really does look at him like it's her brother and love him is the magic trick. Like, I think that was one of the, the lessons that I learned on, on beyond skyline was that like the VFX are only as good as the reaction shots. And a lot of it, I would focus so much Mm. on getting the right shots and everything. And I wasn't as um, fixated on, on getting a lot of close up reaction shots from the actors. And then when I was editing it, I was like, fuck, that's what, uh, you know, I really need to do better on the next time. And, uh, and it's like, it goes back to the Jurassic park scene is that like, yeah, the brontosaurus Mm. is, is amazing. But the reason why the scene holds up so well is everybody's reactions, all the Spielberg face that's going on in that scene is what, what actually gives you the goosebumps. Yeah. What is uh, speaking the other cast and 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 you know you do this in Beyond Skyline as well. Uh, you're able to hire people like Eco Uwais and and uh, and Yayan Rubion and and uh, Daniel Bernhardt and Charlie Yoon and all these people. Uh, is there a you, you? It looks like you kind of had a, a an idea that you wanted to have some people who really knew how to fight in these things. Of course, of course. Yeah. Why? Um, well, yeah. Some movies don't, is what I'm saying. Like some <laughs> movies are just like, I just want to get somebody who looks good and can read the lines, and then I'll just edit it, and it'll look yeah. like they can fight. Yeah, I mean, I, that was. It is a bit of a happy accident from the second movie um, that you know we got Yayan and and Iniko was was just kind of the right place, right time that we were, we were making it in Indonesia and their, their first iteration of the night comes for us fell apart, uh, which ended up getting made like two years later, but, Mm -hmm. um, they were all like set to prep this movie and and it it didn't, it didn't happen. So they had a few months open in their schedule. Um, but yeah, I, it was, and and then kind of learning from that and actually, you know, once I think once you get like a taste of filming a martial arts scene, like it's, uh, it's pretty addictive, you know, like it's, it's, it's so kind of like, is the actual like basic of cinema in a weird way. Like a fight scene is, is a cinema in a strange way. And like, like just trying to learn that language and have fun with it is, uh, is kind of the most fun thing you can do. Um, so for part three, it was like, I knew I still wanted that flavor, but I didn't want to just make beyond skyline too. I wanted to have new creatures and, uh, and have them, you know, behave in different ways. Um, mm-hmm. So that was the the kind of the impetus of, of, of these shadow creatures, which were kind of using parts of the aliens that um, in, 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 a, in a different way and, and have, it's still in camera stuntmen. They're mm-hmm. in leotards with tracking markers, very old fashioned, tried and true technique. Um, yeah. But uh, a lot of times um, people just use like when it's a fully CG creature, they, they just don't have anything in the shot. 
Um, but it was important for me to always have something for the, the actors to interact with. And, uh, and we really lucked out with Lindsay and Johnny who, um, you know, are not like, um, black belt stuntmen at the level of like a Daniel, but, um, mm -hmm. they both are very athletic and they both trained in Thai boxing. Um, Johnny in the case of like 15 years, um, and Lindsay's just a really, obviously a natural athlete who like probably could have been a gymnast if she wanted to. So, um, they, they could do, uh, a lot of these fights, which, you know, with very little prep time, which is the big difference I'd say between, you know, the big budget movies and these indie movies is like, you know, like Charlie's Theron would be like, well, I trained for three months. And like, I think John, Johnny's like, I trained for three days. You know what I mean? Like we just don't, we don't have the time. Uh, and, and the funds to, to support, you know, as much as we would like, you know, um, but uh, hiring really, really great um, a stunt team and action choreography team uh, and, and getting actors who are, are both great actors and physical actors is, is, is a little bit of our sweet spot. I feel like uh, we've kind of found the formula now. It's fun uh, that, uh, you know, I, I probably have seen Daniel Bernhardt in a million movies, didn't know you who have. he was. Yeah. You know, he even like, like, I was going to say he's, he's guys in movies that you wouldn't even know because like, he's such good friends with, um, the John wick guys that mm -hmm. he'll always, he'll always come in and play like four henchmen per movie in their movies. Cause he's so good <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. In, in John wick three. He's the guy in the hot tub at the end who gets his head blown off with the shotgun. Oh, right, wow. right, really? Right. But, but he's actually a main character in John Wick 1 who died. But, like, he'll just be like, oh, you guys need someone who can, you know, fight really well. He'll just come back. And, and Hobbs and Shaw, he's, like, one of the guys that Statham beats the shit out of in the apartment. Fight. Yeah, like, yeah. He'll, he's just, like, he's so down to, you know, whatever's best for the movie. And uh, and to make action, you know, he takes action so seriously that uh, yeah. he'll, he'll come in and, and kick ass. It's fun because I know I know what he looks like now because of the Barry episode that he was in, the Ronnie Lilly <laughs> yeah. episode. And one of the was, best episodes of television I've ever seen. It's indeed. And so now I can see his face and go, okay, it's cool that I know who this guy is now because seeing him in this is completely different from what you see in Ronnie and Lily, Ronnie Lilly. But like uh but you know, it's just fun seeing seeing people like that. But uh um it's that that episode aired like while we were there so i didn't see it till afterwards but he was <laughs> talking about it a lot and it was one of those things that i was like oh my god and it, but it's so funny because it was a lot of what we discussed like that he um he doesn't need to like say a line to be funny you know he mm -hmm. has his presence alone it, when he delivers the lines like serious has like a, a humorous vibe to it because he so is a larger than life, like video game avatar, you know, like he just yeah. looks like he looks like he's just came off a halo like screen whenever, <laughs> when he like first showed up in his helmet and guns and LEDs, I was like, you know, you're just like a video game avatar come to life. So it, like, it's already, uh, you know, has this kind of extra level of, of kind of fun and, and, and meta comedy to me whenever he's just be like, uh, what does he say? Like death or glory, Corporal? And I'm just like cracking up every time he says it. I yeah, love it. Yeah, yeah. I was half expecting him to do the big repeat of it after that too. Yeah. Death and glory, Corporal. Death and glory. I was like, so, um, you know, uh, I was I was going to mention this when we were talking about when uh, talking about the the three movies, but like, um, 
you know, you, you've, you've made, you've made three separate, like they stand alone, I believe. Like, uh, you know, I was, uh, I was going to ask about, you know, I was asking about the actors and if they needed to do any prep and all that really they don't is what I was trying to get at. And then like, um, uh, the audience doesn't need to really, um, uh, because each one has a separate story and everything by the end of the second one, you have, uh, you know, that we got to take the fight to them, but the third movie starts where you've already moved beyond that. So what was sort of the thought process there? Um, well, yeah, thanks. I mean, that it's, it's one, it's like not taking it for granted that everyone would know the story because we are this unlikely franchise. And I think mm-hmm. it's too, like, it's a little bit of a throwback to like, uh, Mad Max in a weird way, you know, like I, I love, yeah. I think I saw yeah. the, the road warrior was the first one I saw and I didn't feel like I needed to have seen Mad Max to think it was right. one of the best movies ever made. So it was like a little bit like they, they give you. Uh, a narrator and a little bit of a, a, a preamble and then a, a little postscript. So that was kind of like very much a thought process in, um, in, in part two is that like all of my favorite sequels, like Terminator two and, and the road warrior, um, you didn't need to have seen the first one to enjoy them. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so then for part three, it was like, okay, uh, this whole franchise was like, you know, painting as we go and her powers and this origin, it's all kind of messy. So I'm just going to call it out right up front. Like, you know, he just basically James Cosmos, just like from there it gets complicated. And that's just me telling the audience like, (laughs) Hey, this is kind of a complicated backstory, but like stick with it. Like, you know, the, the gist of it's fairly simple. She's got these powers and now she's like, you know, the most powerful and important person on the planet. Um, but to get there is a lot of, uh, you know, uh, some heavy lifting, which thankfully when you have a, someone as good as James Cosmo, it goes down easy. But like on the page, you're like, wait, what was this? Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, so yeah, that, that, that's kind of where, where, where the, 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 I come from on that is that like, you know, some kid's going to watch this movie, you know, on streaming or on TV and it'll be his first one. And I want it to, to work and then mm-hmm. get him interested and, and go back. But I don't want it to ever kind of just be a hundred percent reliant on, on all the knowledge from the other ones. Yeah. I just, I want James Cosmo to just tell me stories for like, <laughs> the rest of my life. I think after I watch this, he's great. Yeah. I, I did ADR with him uh, in his like, like Scottish uh, like farmhouse. And he had like a big dog and he's in like a tank top with suspenders and like vaping. And I was like, this is just, you're just exactly what I want you to be all the time. I got Braveheart vibes on his character in this a little bit. Yeah, he, I mean, when he's filming his, uh, his last day, I'll say, uh, he just like, you know, he comes out and like, the alien is coming towards him and the guy tripped on the stilts and just like fell on the ground in front of him and like, <laughs> like spread Eagle. And I was like, Oh God, you're embarrassing me in front of James Cosmo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, 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 I'll, I'll end it on this. I've been asking a lot of directors recently what their, what their hardest day on set was. So what was, what was yours uh, for this one? Uh, hmm, interesting question. Um, there was a couple of really hard days. Um, one of the days that like it, it, it happened on both movies is like, it's actually really hard to take a group of actors and walk them from point A to point B. And it's so mm-hmm. stupid because you write the scene and you're like, Oh yeah, that's fine. That's just a, a, an eighth of a page. 
But like when they first walked into the alien planet uh, cavern and went mm-hmm. down to to find like the remains of the the other alien there and said that that to me like schedule wise was a half a day, but it was a full day. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and the reason is it's like herding cats when you have actors um, all in the same scene together. After each one, they all have their different fidgeting. It was the first time they were ever in their full space costumes, so of course all the LED lights broke. Uh, they were on the wrong frequencies <laughs> for the camera. Uh, oh, everyone, wow. everyone needs to go last looks. I'm like, last looks. You've been supposedly story wise, you've been like marching across an alien planet for six hours. I don't. I'm pretty sure your lips don't need another sheen of lipstick. Like, let's go. <laughs> on, we're fine. Um, but yeah, so those are some of those like unexpected days. On part two, it was when they walked up to the temples, which we did on set at those temples. And you know, I wanted to do a lot of wide shots, so you just kind of have to have them walk the whole way in camera and then getting them all the way back to the point a at the beginning it was like it took me a half a day and then it started raining and i was like mm-hmm. oh, fuck, fuck my life you know like so those <laughs> weird so, those ones are kind of the, the like you think they're going to be easy and you're like oh no problem it's not like this big dramatic scene or it's not this super complicated action scene that's going to stretch my brain um but they the, those ones can bite you too that's wild well, where did you uh film just out of curiosity uh, for part three, we filmed um, in Vilnius, Lithuania, at the studio um, where they filmed Chernobyl, um, oh, wow. which, which um, you know, which we kind of inherited some of the Chernobyl uh, uh, unused sets, like like the tent village was uh, a bunch of the stuff that was was used for the tents in Chernobyl that we kind of grabbed those raw materials and reused them. Um, if awesome. you notice some of the spaceship has a Soviet feel to it, <laughs> that's not for accident. Like, I, I hope no one sues me, but like, we're like, Oh, look at that. And like, grab that shit, grab that nuclear reactor shit and just throw that behind the fucking bridge. That looks like a spaceship. Great. Uh, well, we don't have much, unfortunately we don't have uh, much more time here. Uh, Liam, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm glad that you gave us 30 minutes though. Uh, this is a fun movie. If uh, if anybody hasn't uh, seen the other two uh, after they after Skyline came out in 2010, watch these other two. I think you'll really like them. Um, uh, and uh, but this one comes out December 18th, digital on demand. Any theaters at all? Yeah, they said they said uh, select theaters. I'd heard like a hundred screens, including drive-ins. But uh, you know, with this pandemic and the different lockdowns. Mm-hmm. Who knows if you can see it uh, safely, please do. But uh, it's definitely going to be, uh, you know, at iTunes, Amazon, uh, on demand, all, all that stuff on the yeah. December 18th. All right. We'd like to thank Liam O'Donnell for uh, giving, us, giving us his time. Uh, that's going to do it for this interview. It's Chris Atkins and Barrett Shear and Jonathan Watkins. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit, and be sure to visit cinemasins.com.